Welcome to the Azure Security Podcast, where we discuss topics relating to security, privacy, reliability, and compliance on the Microsoft Cloud Platform. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode number 16. Uh, this week, we have Sarah, Mark, and myself. We also have a special guest, Nick Fajevitz, uh, who will be talking to us about Azure Policy. But before we get to uh, before we get to Nick, let's get stuck into the news. Uh, Mark, why don't you take it away? The new edition for Azure for Architects came out. This is a free ebook, so you do have to do the registration wall thing and you know just throw in you know name, fake email, whatever it is, um, and then you can download it. Uh, it's got a lot of really good information on it, well written. Um, somewhere around page 244, I think it was, is where the security stuff kicks in. Um, some good information there. Um, so definitely well worth checking out. Lots and lots of good context on Azure all up. So the next thing I was going to share was uh, around something that I've been working on a lot lately. We have seen a significant uptick in human-operated ransomware. Um, and so we've seen a lot of um, adversary groups. Um, essentially, ransomware in many ways is growing up. It used to be kind of a catch-as-catch-can, send out a bunch of malware, phishing email links, and hope and see how many workstations came in. But we're seeing these groups evolve, and they're using some of the same techniques that um, I've been talking about for probably at least a decade now around, you know, pass the hash, credential theft, and all the variations and all the modern ones, you know, gold, silver tickets, all that kind of good stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, effectively the Mimikast toolkit is, is what we're seeing in a lot of, the, uh, of these attacks. But effectively, they are human operator driven ransomware now. They are no longer just automated, you know, hit a machine and go. And so we're seeing this uh, expand quite a bit, and this is becoming a significant percentage of the customer incident responses that our teams help our customers with. Um, so becoming a very uh, area of intense focus. And so we're working on uh, updating our guidance, um, consolidating, cleaning that up so that customers have a very specific actionable, you know, as, as close as we can to here's a project plan, take it and run um, is kind of the goal that we're, we're shooting for. Uh, but uh, definitely an area of focus, an area of interest, and um, a lot of attacker uh, investment there. Um, and we're going to include some uh, links in the show notes of the guidance that we're going to be sort of linking to or updating as part of this, um, including our sort of rapid attack guidance around the NotPetya WannaCrypt sort of stuff, because ransomware fits the same pattern. Just the one piece of good news, actually, is that the human operated ransomware does give us time to respond. In the cases of WannaCrypt and Petya, you just didn't have a chance. You had to prevent. You did not have human time um, to deal with it. But in the case of um, this new stuff, there is a human operator that is, you know, click, click, clicking along. They have scripts and automation that they use, but um, it still does take that human time to do things. So it gives your humans and your security operations or SOC, if if you have one, um, to uh, to a chance to actually deal with it. Um, so that um, is. One of them, the rabbit attack stuff, the privilege access roadmap is another one that we are um, addressing and updating. Um, secure workstation guidance, uh, sort of updating our PAW guidance to leverage all the, the new goodness from the cloud um, is, is going to be a part of that as well. And um, we're also looking you know, at uh, the ex all the existing guidance from Microsoft and the various teams, as well as some uh, industry uh, guidance on this as well to get folks the best of all these worlds as actionable as we possibly can. Um, so that's that's it for uh, for my part of the world. So a couple of things that I wanted to talk about. So first thing is some things that are some new things in Azure Security Center. Um, so for a start, um, 
the vulnerability assessment uh, will now work uh, for Azure Arc enabled servers. So that's for um, servers in other clouds or um, on premise. So um, behind the scenes in our vulnerability assessment, we're using Qualys. Um, but that means that um, so uh, if you have any um, so you can use it um, as uh, to see if your machines have any vulnerabilities. So of course that's just rounding out the whole vulnerability piece um, that you can do it on other servers as well. And if uh, outside of Azure, and of course, if you're using Azure Arc, it ties in nicely because it means you can manage them and also do the vulnerability assessment altogether. So that's pretty cool. Um, there's also some other updates in Security Center. There's a firewall recommendation added. Um, so if you've got virtual networks and they are not protected by a firewall that Security Center can see, it will now um, have that recommendation in uh, our hygiene. And as we know, hygiene is super important and we don't do that enough. Um, well, a lot of breaches could be stopped by hygiene and people do forget that. And of course, I could never go through an entire episode without mentioning some Kubernetes stuff. Um, there are some additional recommendations for that as well. They are around authorized IP ranges um, uh, within your Kubernetes cluster. So um, similar to traditional application whitelisting, you can actually list IP ranges that are allowed to connect to your Kubernetes cluster. Again, um, a little um, tweak, but a really good hygiene piece as well. Also, uh, a couple of other things. Um, there's a few more Security Center ones. Um, uh, we'll link to them in the show notes, but they're the ones that really caught my eye. The other one, which is very cool, is um, for Azure Backup. Um, so we now have Soft Delete for SQL Server um, for VMs and SAP HANA, which is really cool because Soft Delete is essentially uh, a feature we do already have in Azure for other products. But what it does is it will protect data after you've deleted it. So if you soft delete something, the data is actually still retained for an additional two weeks, which means if someone makes a mistake or it's actually a, um, say, a malicious person trying to delete your data, we can actually recover it for two weeks. Um, and that doesn't incur any costs either. So um, definitely go look at that if you're using those products. And if this is the first time you've ever heard of soft delete, then please go and look that up because I definitely, definitely recommend you have that turned on for uh, for any, any Azure products you're using that support it because it's uh, really helpful. And then the last thing is some stuff Actually, no, second to last thing, penultimate actually, is uh, DNS features in Azure Firewall. So uh, the firewall thing I was talking about before was just a recommendation, but now, um, uh, we've got some features that were in public preview that are now GA. So uh, I think the one that I found the coolest was custom DNS support. So uh, originally Azure Firewall would only use Azure DNS and you couldn't change that. But now you can get um, Azure Firewall to use um, a custom DNS. So if you've got your own DNS server, you can, uh, you can use that, uh, which is really nice because it means it can do resolutions that couldn't be done on Azure DNS. Um, so that makes it much more flexible. Um, you can also uh, proxy uh, using Azure Firewall now as well. We can do a DNS proxying, which means you can actually uh, actually protect your DNS server. And it means that you can have reliable FQDN, fully qualified domain name filtering in your network rules. So some cool things there as well. Um, again, I haven't actually gone through them all, uh, but there's more stuff around uh, just building out our DNS functionality. So have a look at that. And then last but not 
not least, uh, obviously my baby um, in Azure Sentinel. Uh, this week we got uh, we announced the public preview of the Microsoft Defender 365 connector, and this is the the raw events connector. So what it means is that you can now bring in those raw events from um, Azure Defender for endpoints, and it means you can do advanced hunting, and it will be stored in Azure Sentinel alongside your other telemetry. Um, so uh, a lot of customers, I know from personal experience, a lot of customers have been asking for that. So that is now available in public preview. Uh, alongside that, there is a billing uh, benefit deal that's uh, around, I believe, for about the next six months. Um, it's all, again, we'll link to it in the show notes. I don't want to talk too much about costings, but essentially, if you're an E5 customer, uh, to ingest that raw uh, Defender data, you get a discount. So uh, go and look it up and have a look if that might apply to you, because I do know a lot of customers uh, were waiting for that feature. Uh, and that's probably me done for today. All right, so a couple of things piqued my interest over the last few weeks. First one is uh, HD Insight now supports private link in preview, and as does Azure Batch. This is really cool. I, I know I mention this almost every week uh, that we talk, but the fact that more and more PaaS offerings are moving to private link, private endpoint, the, the better because it allows you to essentially construct solutions that uh, are essentially just an extension of your own your own network, uh, highly isolated from a network perspective. Uh, so yeah, so HD Insight and Azure Batch are two new features that have uh, are added to that list. Another cool feature on Azure Storage now allows you to select your minimum TLS version. This is another thing we're seeing happen across the board, uh, where you have more control over the TLS version that PaaS services uh, support. Uh, so, for example, if you're building something that must be PCI compliant, uh, then you need to really select TLS 1.2 and above. Uh, but, you know, you may be building something that have, may have serious compatibility issues. Uh, so you may want to support TLS 1.1. I'm not saying that's a good idea from a security standpoint, but at least you can now do it. Something we talked about in September was that Azure Data Lake Storage Gen 2 supported recursive access control lists, POSIX 1.003.1 uh, control lists. Uh, that was in preview in September. That is now GA. It's now generally available, which is uh, which is great to see. And the last one is uh, I had an interview last week with the Azure podcast. So for those of you who don't know, the Azure Security podcast, you know, this podcast is really modeled on the Azure podcast, which is run by um, uh, Sajid DeMello and all his co-hosts. So I was interviewed a couple of weeks ago uh, for episode 352, talking about this podcast, but also about just about Azure security in general and trends that we're seeing across uh, across the platform. So again, um, as Sarah mentioned, uh, all these links will be in the show notes. So with that, let's change tacks and let's introduce our guest. Uh, this week we have we have Nick Fajevitz. He is a newly minted principles consultant in Azure. Uh, so Nick, uh, why don't you spend a couple of minutes just to explain uh, who you are, what you do, how long you've been at Microsoft, and what excites you about Azure? I have been at Microsoft for coming up on eight years in January. I was in industry before that, doing mostly identity and access management, actually played a small role in setting the civilian uh, US department, uh, US government's smart card standards. So the Department of Defense has common access cards. 
the civilian government has what's called an HSPD-12 or a PIV card, and I was on a lot of the committees that set up that technology and ultimately deployed um, some of those uh, solutions to various customers. So when I was finished or mostly finished with that work, Microsoft reached out because I had made some contacts through there and brought me on as an identity and access management consultant. So for the last eight years, I've been deploying initially Forefront Identity Manager, FIM, most recently Microsoft Identity Manager. And then uh, as Microsoft and the world have transitioned into the cloud, so have I uh, started doing things like ADFS, Azure Active Directory, and ultimately most recently um, Azure Policy, which seems like a bit of a odd turn, Azure Policy being a configuration management tool for managing resources in Azure. But when I take a look at the way that Azure, and especially Azure Resource Manager, handles all of those resources, oftentimes what we're really doing is looking at an object or an identity with a bunch of properties and parameters and applying a bunch of workflow to those objects, which is nearly identical to the identity synchronization work that I was doing previously. So uh, when I configure a storage account, I don't look at bits and I don't care much whether that's a uh, SSD or a traditional spinning drive. What I see is a single object with a property that might say uh, one terabyte of storage. And that's been very helpful in sort of moving myself into the cloud and a lot of the work that I'm doing with Azure Policy. Cool. So let's just assume that our listeners are not familiar with Azure Policy. Uh, could you give like an Azure Policy 101? Like where would you use it? Azure Policy is a service inside Azure that allows for configuration management, as I mentioned. It's a service that executes every time there's a change or a new resource is added uh, to a subscription or a tenant or resource group. And the Azure policy has a set of conditions, the policy rules, that if those are met, there are actions that take place. Those actions can be a audit action where the resource is then reported as non-compliant into the Compliance Center for Azure policy, or the action can be deny, which is stop that update or creation of the new resource from happening. And probably most powerfully, the action can be make some change, append some new configuration, create an additional resource. So for example, if you were to create a virtual network, you may want to immediately create a subnet with a certain size. That's the type of thing that you can do in Azure Policy. Ultimately deploy an ARM template based on the resource that's being updated and um, enforce configurations, which from a security perspective, is really excellent because we can automatically turn on um, that the minimum TLS version is 1.2 and anybody who tries to go around that gets flagged or outright denied if that's the policy, uh, given your example from before. So Azure Policy is really a way to do that enforcement, give visibility. It is an enterprise solution that scales extremely well. Uh, Azure. Azure runs, it runs as platform as a service. So Azure handles all the load balancing and all of the behind the scenes work of making Azure policy work. Ultimately, it's a very familiar, for anybody who's using ARM templates, it's a very familiar exercise because policies are written in JSON 
with the policy uh, action, the policy rules, the policy actions, and then ARM templates that you want to deploy. Um, it's a little bit complicated at first, but if you do a half a dozen policies, even the most simple ones, you'll be able to do more, the more complex ones. So the uh, ramp for getting updated, uh, educated on it and executing is, uh, is not particularly steep. So you've mentioned that there are different things that a policy can do, such as audit or deny. I can imagine that if someone were to roll out a whole bunch of policies that denied things, uh, that could be quite disruptive. Yeah, it absolutely could. There are a number of uh, Azure policies very powerful. Any activity that one could execute through automation with an ARM template can absolutely be done through Azure policy. So first of all, make sure you're protecting your policy definitions and who's allowed to edit those definitions, assign the definitions and so on. But more importantly, as you're going through the exercise, as a customer is going through the exercise of uh, out rolling out Azure policy, we strongly recommend rolling those policies out and assigning them in audit mode to begin with. That allows for compliance results to be uh, looked at, analyzed, um, remediated if appropriate. And for those places where there isn't remediation, either leave the audit in place so that those items continue to show up. And when you move on to the next step to, uh, to assign enforcement policies, so deny or deployment policies, uh, then you can create an exception or um, tell Azure policy to stop looking at those resources so that they no longer show up as false positives because they've been evaluated. Any subsequent resources, of course, would, would have to be evaluated and, and handled going forward, but this allows for the rolling out of policies in existing environments before, uh, without having to cause any unforeseen circumstances like outages or denial of service that are self-inflicted. Yeah, I, I know most of the customers that I work with uh, tend to shy away from deny at the beginning, uh, get a feel for what the impact will be by setting things in audit mode, and then selectively start turning on deny uh, where it makes sense. That being said, I've seen at least one customer where they've had a security weakness sort of manifest itself in production because they did have something set to, to audit and not deny. And they caught it because of you know the, the event was audited, but uh, versus it being you know, prevented by, uh, by using deny. On another topic, so when is this enforced? I mean, you can change things through the portal. You can run PowerShell scripts. You can deploy an ARM template. You can configure things from the Azure CLI. Uh, so what point is policy evaluated? Well, the great news is because Azure policy runs as part of the fabric, uh, Azure policy is actually evaluated during every one of the cases and ultimately all cases. So once the change, it, once Azure recognizes the change and begins to implement it, Azure policy will do its evaluation against the policy rules, those conditions of compliance or non-compliance, and uh, at that point either allow or disallow the change. So it really doesn't matter what automation tools or uh, deployment tools a customer is using, whether it's manually through the portal, point and click to deploy a new storage account, or large um, you know, mechanisms for deploying resources at scale, Azure Policy will apply in all of those cases for any new resource or any change resource. And in addition, Azure Policy is also constantly running on a cycle. The, the service level agreement today is that every policy will be 
reevaluated every 24 hours. So um, if something were to sneak through, that of course won't help on a deny policy or a deployment policy because um, those policies actually, if uh, if it's not at the time of the the change being made, um, then an enforcement policy goes onto a list for remediation, and there has to be a manual process to click the button to say remediate or to send the command uh, through the the ARM, uh, the REST API, or some other mechanism to actually perform that remediation. But all of the audits, for example, will start to show up, and so. Azure policy is sort of always running and also running whenever a change is made, whether that's a new resource or an update to an existing resource. So does Azure come with built-in policies or is this something that I have to create from scratch? I mean, where do I find policies? Can you give like a, yeah, a couple of examples? I mean, you, you gave one example of say a storage account using TLS 1.2. Um, could you give another couple of examples? Yeah, I mean, the pretty much any configuration of a resource you can do. There is there are some limits, um, and Azure policy because of the way that the fabric works actually abstracts some of the properties from resources into what Azure call Azure policy calls an alias, and an alias is a um, essentially a, a layer between the resource itself and Azure policy. And so um, that exists because Azure's changing fairly regularly and Azure policies need to continue to work. And so if the underlying resource changes because of that abstraction, um, the, the alias can act to bridge that gap while the policy gets updated and, and all the change management happens. As far as what's available today, uh, Microsoft Azure actually provides a long list of built-in policies. Most of those policies are in audit mode only, and in many cases are, are fairly purpose-built, meaning they're not intended to handle multiple complex situations. They're looking at one specific scenario for one specific purpose, typically aligned to some benchmark or security control. Um, PCI compliance, for example, has a what's called a policy initiative, which is a group of policies, and um, when a customer applies that, they get to only apply that in audit mode. So um, yeah, we have provided, Microsoft has provided a number of policies and there are many, many, many of them. Turning on soft delete for storage accounts, um, virtual machines that have to have specific IP addresses, um, location only allows certain locations, uh, all the types of things that you would expect um, somebody who was security minded would, would want to have in their environment. Uh, there's almost certainly an existing what's called built-in policy. And if there isn't, there's going there's likely to be something close. For somebody who has to author a custom policy, often you can go find the uh, something that's close for one of the built-in policies, use that as the starting point, and then go from there. And that helps with uh, accelerating that authoring, which can be somewhat tedious if uh, if you're just getting started. So Nick, um, you sometimes get customers will say um, they've already got Azure Security Center and that has policies built into it. So um, why would, if a customer's already using ASC, why would they need policy on top of that? Um, I know I've been asked that before and I know that you said when we were chatting before we started the show that that's a question you get asked a lot. Yeah, it's a great question and it is one that we get a lot. At the end of the day, Azure Security Center is behind the scenes Azure policy. 
And so Azure Security Center compliance results, you know, Azure Security Center gets signal from lots of places, but in, in this particular case, the place that they're getting that signal from is the Azure policy compliance results. If a customer decides that they want to add on to what Azure Security Center is doing or modify the existing Azure Security Center results in order to meet their business needs, they would do that through Azure policy. And they can do that by customizing the existing policies and then including them in policy initiatives and then registering those initiatives, their custom initiatives with Azure Security Center and then use the same single pane of glass that they're using today with Azure Security Center being where they go for their reporting. And that's often uh, the direction we see a lot of customers go. They don't, they see the, the way that Azure Security Center looks and they like it. When you look at the compliance results in Azure policy, it looks much less uh, user-friendly and you can really get, the customer can really get the best of both worlds by creating custom policy, custom initiatives, and then enrolling them in Azure Security Center and get a, a consistent experience. Another question I have about Azure policy is what do you see as some of the deficiencies? I mean, there are obviously going to be some weaknesses. So where do you see some of those def those deficiencies? Yeah, I touched a little bit on, on a couple of them. The out of the box, the built-in policies are very purpose-built. I would, I would suggest that um, we'd, we'd be well-served as a, as a community of security-minded individuals to have those policies be built a little bit more broadly, parameterized, for example. So allow for more complex scenarios that perhaps the built-in policy is targeted to one specific control in a particular benchmark or baseline, but a customer may want to use that policy uh, or a very similar policy moving forward. I know I find myself essentially copying the built-in policies, making one small tweak and then having this object, this technical object that I have to manage through source control and change management and all the other complex things. Because again, Azure policy is very uh, powerful. I don't want to just let anybody do that and I want to make sure I'm doing it correctly. So the that's one primary place where I would focus uh, the Azure policy um, you know, efforts. Uh, the other thing is it is a bit complex to have a number of different Azure policies. They, they start to get very similar using the same sort of resources. And ultimately we end up with a versioning problem, which is something that doesn't exist in Azure policy today. So we, we'd like to see some investment in Azure policy versions where we can have an initial version. And then, you know, many customers are using agile development processes, iterating, uh, making additions, and, um, you know, having, having versions of the different resources would be very helpful in order to support that ongoing customization and tailoring to the different customers' businesses. So those are the two I would focus on. I love Azure policy. It's it's one of those things that like, you know, Microsoft put this massive investment into Azure Resource Manager ARM, as we like to call it, and essentially turned the data center, you know, the software-defined data center into something that's really sort of managed regular. Every you know service goes through that to do all their you know, create, uh, you know, remove, delete, um, change, modify, all those kind of things. And, you know, apply the policy to there. I mean, I just, I, I love that. I think I'm wondering, you know, especially given, you know, the, the power of it that you were mentioning earlier, like what are, what are sort of the best practices for implementing it? Like, you know, if I was going to be like, okay, I want to adopt uh, Azure policy, 
what would what would be the the sort of ways that you would recommend you know folks to say okay well use this do this um and and you know don't do this until you're advanced and really get it kind of thing so if we talk about sort of crawl walk run the the first thing i would start with is recognize that azure policy is a technical asset just like every other technical asset it needs change management it needs source control for the files and the configurations that azure policy has um, they really should be in a formal repository, Azure DevOps and Azure repos or GitHub Enterprise on the Microsoft stack side are really great. They have a lot of built in mechanisms for managing policy. Um, I would strongly recommend customers start there. There's already in GitHub Enterprise, there's Microsoft product group provided automation for changes to policy files and definitions and those those actions automatically will push through the, the the GitHub Enterprise action pipeline to make the change to the policy in whatever um, tenant subscription or other uh, location you have for them. So uh, I would I would start there. Second is when you're deploying policies uh, it, across an environment, because they're so powerful, you really you really do need to start in audit mode and then do that evaluation. And that can take a long time. Um, it'll take it'll take quite a bit of time to author policies to settle on baseline configurations, even using built in policies. It'll take some time to evaluate them to see if they apply or um, when looking at the compliance results in audit mode, determining what's a false positive and what actually requires remediation. And so take the time. I would suggest that folks that are deploying Azure policy, take the time to really look at those compliance results and take them seriously. Because once you move into enforcement mode, you really need to make sure you're not having downstream effects on your applications. So, um, yeah, I, I would strongly recommend customers put put their their policies into some sort of source control and start with audit. Don't just jump right into enforcement policies. Now, Azure policy, is that something that like a workload owner, like an Azure workload owner would have exposure to? Or would it only be the folks that are sort of managing the enterprise and all the, the workloads in aggregate? Azure Policy actually has the ability to act as an accelerator for deployments. Uh, Microsoft has a, um, a solution we call Enterprise Scale that sets up landing zones for different environments, has sort of a hub and spoke environment for shared services. And Azure Policy is used pretty heavily uh, in that environment where uh, when a new subscription is stood up inside the tenant, uh, the base services, network, storage, monitoring, key vault, you know, secrets, secrets management, all that gets stood up as part of that deployment. And you can certainly use Azure policy to help um, drive that and accelerate that um, adoption for workloads that are moving into Azure so that they can spend more time focusing on their applications and less time focusing on the decisions they need to make around the base infrastructure. Um, in that case, I would say that the the general workloads will will be heavily impacted and and see policy as an accelerator. On the other hand, policy can also be used by centralized security teams to put control enforcement in place, which then presumably takes away some of that flexibility from those application teams uh, by enforcing certain configurations. So. You know, there's always a balance. Uh, security is always a balance between convenience and and security. And uh, you know, a, a customer doing well 
with Azure Policy, we'll be able to find that balance between acceleration and uh, you know control. So the last question I had is, can you talk a little bit about the difference between blueprints and policy um, and kind of when you would use each one? Yeah, that's a great question. We do get that a lot because um, they, they seem similar, but Azure Blueprints uh, in general is a deployment mechanism for uh, specific ARM templates that are like puzzle pieces fitting together. And as I mentioned, Azure Policy has some ability to do that, but it's very sort of cause and effect. If a virtual network is created, then IP addresses get assigned. Azure Blueprints, uh, when, you, when you deploy an Azure Blueprint, it has no such dependencies other than those that are built into the ARM template or the number of ARM templates that are being deployed. So I typically look at Azure Blueprints as the deployment mechanism and then most of the time when I see customers deploying Azure policy, they're doing it for security and control purposes. And so I look at Azure security as the uh, control mechanism, the enforcement mechanism, and the compliance reporting for uh, certain security settings. While they are similar and Azure Blueprints, because it can deploy any ARM template, can absolutely be used to deploy and assign Azure policy, uh, they, they are similar but they are—they definitely serve and are intended to serve two different purposes. You can turn a screwdriver over and use it to hammer in a nail, but you're probably better <laughs> off going and getting in a hammer and hammering in the nail. And so you make sure you're using the right tool for the job. Gotcha. And so both of them are based on ARM, but they really have a different outcome they're driving towards. Awesome. Thanks. So Nick, how about Ignite things? Because Ignite was uh, pretty, what uh, wasn't too long ago. Um, anything new and cool in the world of policy that you can tell us about that people may not be aware of yet? Yeah, Ignite was a really exciting time for Azure Policy. You know, Azure Policy has been sort of this quiet, uh, you know, quiet service sitting in the corner. You know, those of us that have been working with it for a while are very passionate about it, but, um, you know, it wasn't getting a whole lot of love. And um, that changed with Ignite. So there are a number of different uh, features and capabilities that us in the policy community have been looking forward to for a while. One of them is policy exemptions. Azure Policy has always had the ability to create exceptions, which is a policy uh, would apply to specific resources. And if that policy was an enforcement policy, then you could create an exception at some level in your organization structure at the subscription management group, resource group, individual resources, you could create these exceptions and those exception, those policies would no longer apply at those scopes, but the resources would constantly show up as non-compliant. And what this meant was the security team who like to see clean audit sheets would always have some number of resources that show that were showing up as non-compliant. In, in Ignite, Microsoft announced that they were going to allow policy exemptions. And, and when you assign a policy or configure a policy exemption, as far as that Azure policy assignment is concerned, those resources don't exist. They don't show up on reports. They don't have any activity. They don't have uh, enforcement actions taken in them. They don't exist. They're not reported as non-compliant which means that resources that uh, are out of compliance, but that's okay, and there may be other mitigating factors, can be handled and clean up those reports, making them significantly more usable. Um, and you know, for extremely large environments where Azure policy might be deployed broadly, that number 
of exemptions could reach into the hundreds in some cases. And uh, it really does help keep everybody organized. The other uh, exciting news for those of us that write a lot of custom policy, when a custom, when a policy, a custom policy is written and you want to validate, you're in the you're in the authoring phase and you want to validate that the policy is uh, providing the outcome that you're looking for, you might uh, you know start off iteratively and create the policy and just sort of take the first shot at it and and you know add it to Azure, submit it to Azure, and then go and assign the policy against the resources and check to see what happens. Well, because Azure policy is constantly running, the uh, brand newly assigned policies can take up to 30 minutes from the time they get added to the queue until they actually get evaluated and you get results, which means you A, are doing a lot more authoring before you're checking your work. And B, even when you're doing that authoring, uh, 30 minutes is a long time to hit submit and then wait. And so an, an exciting new development was that the Azure policy team actually created a add-on, an extension to Visual Studio that allows you to uh, connect to your Azure environment, submit a, submit a policy. It has to be a, a, a created policy definition. And in some cases, assign that policy if your policy definition has parameters that need to be set in order for it to work. And then pick resources from your environment and within Visual Studio, click a button that says evaluate and get results immediately. And so um, this accelerates the authoring uh, by a significant margin because you can essentially do all of your all of your policy evaluation and your and your authoring inside Visual Studio, other than submitting the policy uh, in the first place, which you can easily automate through PowerShell or other ways. Um, you you then can can test your policies very very quickly, get them to what to to um, report the results that you're looking for, and off you go. In addition, um, Azure Policy historically and traditionally has been uh, highly focused and almost exclusively focused on the management plane of Azure. For those that aren't familiar, the management plane is the infrastructure um, configuration and management uh, layer. So go create an infrastructure resource or platform resource, uh, set the basic settings to it, but that is all. So for example, a storage account, you can go in and create a storage account. Once the storage account is created, you can increase the size, you can attach it to various um, virtual machines, for example, and so on. But what you can't do at the management plane is get access to the data in that storage account. Key vaults, you can create the key vault, you can configure the key vault, but you don't have access directly to the secrets in the key vault. And excitingly, Azure Policy started being able to manage at the next level down, at the data layer. So for Kubernetes, for example, you can actually manage the Kubernetes engine. For Azure Key Vault, you can actually manage the certificates and secrets that are in the Key Vault by doing things like saying that you can't have certificates that have been issued longer than X number of days in the Key Vault, or that the key lengths need to be a certain size, and that type of thing. And so that was really exciting coming out of Ignite. Finally, um, organizing, key, uh, organizing policies is really important. The way that we do that is grouping them into what's called a policy initiative, a set of policies, and, um, and then assigning that initiative. So you might have a networking initiative, you might have a virtual machine initiative, and so on down the line. Um, what, what was true is when you went to assign an initiative, if you had exceptions, and ultimately when you, if you have exemptions, uh, you either had to accept 
the entire resource from the, you know, your entire set of resources from that whole initiative for every single policy in the initiative, or not do an exception and have a false positive in your audit report. Well, good news, now you can, inside an initiative, create an initiative group, and you can say, these are this is my network initiative, but here is my firewall uh, security policy, and here's my IP security policy, and here's my virtual network security policy, and you can create those three groups, and if a resource is only non-compliant with the firewall policies, you can create an exception that says, only for this one particular group inside this initiative, does this exception apply? And so again, much more fine-grained access to manage your resources. So yeah, Ignite was extremely exciting. Um, lots of good activity. I've heard personally from the product group that they're continuing to iterate and um, we, we look forward to what the future holds. So another announcement at Ignite was around using Microsoft Graph. Yeah, that was really exciting. In the past, if you wanted to get compliance results out of out of Azure Policy, you could either register policy in an initiative and then um, use Azure Security Center and have the data flow downstream for whatever automation or use the portal to look at the look at the results. But there really wasn't another good way to get those results programmatically. And so with this announcement, opening up the, the graph allows for much finer grained access to compliance and non-compliance results, including which resources are non-compliant and crucially, which was almost impossible, if not impossible to get before, why those resources are non-compliant. So if a storage account didn't have soft delete turned on in the past, you might get nothing. You might see that that storage account was out of compliance, but you might not, but you definitely wouldn't know why. And now you can actually go in and say, it, the, the results will tell you which policy is uh, non-compliant and ultimately which property on the resource is triggering the policy rule to identify non-compliance. And so for customers that are maybe not using Azure Security Center fully, but do have other dashboards or other you know, Power BI mechanisms or automation flows for pulling those results out, uh, this opens up a world of possibilities for SOC integration, management reports, and other things that didn't just didn't exist before. And so it's really, really exciting stuff. Yeah, it is. I mean, you know, historically, it's always been a bit of a black box. So this is, uh, this is fantastic to see. We also have a prior episode on Microsoft Graph, uh, if anyone wants to learn a little bit more, a little bit more about it. So Nick, uh, one thing we like to do before we before we sign off is uh, if there's one thing that you would leave our listeners with uh, about Azure Policy, what would it be? So Azure Policy is big and complex. It can easily be um, scoped down to critical items going forward that customers can address right out of the box in many cases, and um, even the customizations with a small amount of engineering can can be done fairly quickly. So the one thing that I would say is that is a lot of effort. However, if you're a large organization or even a medium organization, you have multiple workloads moving into Azure. Every one of them is trying to figure out how to be secure or should be trying to figure out how to be secure. Azure policy, the investments that you put into Azure policy can absolutely accelerate that move into Azure because oftentimes workloads and customers moving sensitive data and sensitive workloads 
are worried about the security implications. And by using Azure policy to set that security baseline so that everybody's at the same level, you're no longer relying on just those engineers to make the right decision when they're deploying the resource that one time. It gives visibility, it can give enforcement, it allows for continuous improvement. There really is uh, no, no better way to uh, accelerate that compliance with security baselines in Azure and in the cloud than Azure policy. It's really the go-to. So the thing that I would say take away is make the investment in Azure policy, do it smartly, do it correctly, and you will reap those benefits almost immediately as you notice resources uh, that are out of compliance and new resources automatically being in compliance, um, which, will, which will really just reduce the deployment times and those, uh, those modernization times drastically. So really good investment. So yeah, so next, thank you so much for joining us this week. Uh, thank you for taking the time out. Uh, I know I learned a, a few things. Some of the gaps that I had in my knowledge about Azure policy have certainly been filled. Uh, thank you to everyone listening this week. Uh, take care out there, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Azure Security Podcast. You can find show notes and other resources at our website, azsecuritypodcast.net. If you have any questions, please find us on Twitter at Azure SecPod. Background music is from ccmixter.com and licensed under the Creative Commons license.